This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Near Never podcast, another win to talk about this week, a 1-0 narrow win over Southampton at Turf Moor as Burnley go, another game unbeaten at Turf Moor, that's now six games, um, six, <laughs> 11 points from six games, sorry, since Ashley Barnes came into the side, so we'll talk about Ashley Barnes' impact and we've got an interview with Southampton fan Connor later as well. But tonight's guests are Ian, Michael and Tom Whitaker, new on the podcast. Tom, we'll start with you then. What did you make of the game on Saturday? I thought it was very encouraging. It was a good performance. Uh, Southampton weren't as good as I expected, but I think there was never a point in the game where they were battering us, which was the impression that Kerman gave us into afterwards. I thought we looked pretty comfortable. I thought we matched them. I thought we probably just edged it. So I think it was a, it was a good win. And it was a, I think it was fair enough as well. I think we just need to win them. It felt a bit. It felt a bit to me like it was perhaps the first time this season we've got a little bit more than we deserved. Um, I agree with you. I don't think Southampton were really on top for a lot of it, but probably the manner of our goal just just felt like we got a bit of luck. But we've not had the rub of the green in a lot of games this season, so surely it's just payback, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I mean it was a bit. Yeah, it was a lucky goal, like you say. But then there's been, like you say, other moments this season where the luck's not gone with us. Um, and to be fair, it's encouraging as well that we're actually because it's like that old thing of if you don't buy a ticket, you won't win the lottery. You know, he's he's had a go from there, which sometimes we've overplayed it. We've you know we've mucked about out wide, getting it out wide, not getting the balls in the box. We got it over. We had the shot, got the shot away quickly, and that happens sometimes. You, you, defenders will make mistakes like that, so it was good to see us be a bit more direct and uh, and got the rewards for it. I do say you make your own luck, so maybe that's the case. Um, Ian, Southampton came into the game on a slightly dodgy patch of form after their start to the season and they did seem a little bit um, off their best but how much of that was down to the way Burnley played? It seemed like we stifled them a little bit. Yeah, I think we, we played that very familiar kind of pressing game uh, that we saw an awful lot of last season. I think we're starting to see uh, more in evidence again now this season. They seem to have got the confidence back to be able to play that game. And uh, I know I was reading reading some reports somewhere, maybe been on Non A Nevernet, um, talking about Southampton really struggling against teams that that are well organised and 
you know, are able to to get men behind the ball. And that's not to say we parked a bus or anything. I think we played, from what I saw, admittedly only the highlights, I think we played very well in the first half, especially. Um, but yeah, we, we seem to be able to get in amongst them. We seem to be able to close the creative players down. And when you've got a team that's a little low on form, um, I think sometimes they can it can get a little swamped by a team that's uh, that's all over them from the first whistle. It was really positive for me to see that we bounced back so strongly from last weekend at QPR and I was hoping to see that because that was one of the big features of our promotion, I think. Every time we had a bit of a setback, we seemed to to put it right straight away. So the fact that last weekend was so poor, I think it was really positive to see that the team seemed to be not concerned about that at all and immediately putting it right. I think that's a really positive sign, especially when there's going to be times this season where we take when we get beat in games when we expect to do better. So it's it's really good to see that. And I think your point about the pressing game is crucial as well. I think we've seen quite a lot of games this season where we've played against five-man midfields and we've struggled to do that because there's just too many players and too many options and you just end up getting past the ball around you. But we seem to pick our moments to press really well on Saturday and Southampton struggled with that a little bit. So hopefully we'll gain confidence with that. And of course the, the goal came from us doing that, pressing them deep in their own half. Um Michael, another winning goal for Ashley Barnes, but I suppose, I don't know how much of it you can put down to, to Barnes' finishing ability. Oh yeah, it was a, ma- a massive struggle look from Barnes. It, it wrong-footed the keeper, and at the end of the day, any goal's a good goal for a striker in the Premier League, so I'm happy just to see him putting him in the back of the net. He's in the right, it was in the right position, and he's, he's got three points at the end of the day. And you said, you said it at the very beginning of the podcast, 11 points since he's come into the team, and it's just what we needed at that time when the, when Duke wasn't really performing, Sordell's not really done anything. So Barnes had to impose himself and perhaps it's the threat of Vaux and now coming back to fitness has really pushed him on that bit, bit extra. And um, I, I want to see him cont- adding a bit more to his game in front of goal. I think he needs to score a few more before we start to see him as that goal, that, pretend, that first choice partner for Ings. But I think he's getting there. He's getting there and... Um, definitely improvement it's really strange because i still don't see that many signs of a partnership between ings and barnes but the results still keep coming so obviously something's working and like i said the run has been since barnes came into the team even though i think it was it was almost just his turn when he got when he first got his chance because sordell played at arsenal and yukovic had been in the team before that so it was almost like it was just his opportunity to have a go and of course he got the winner against Tottenham. The rest is it's been history since then. But Tom, what do you make of Barnes' overall contribution? Watch him in the first half on Saturday. It seemed like he was conceding more free kicks than he was touching the ball. Yeah, he was a bit like that, especially when we signed him as well. He he, he looks for the free kick more than he looks for the the ball sometimes. I think, but he he's won his fair share of headers. Uh, I think he's a better four rings than Sordell. I mean, I don't think those two are too too similar to play together, and he's got a bit more of an edge to him than Jukovic and obviously Jukovic is he works hard he runs about but he's really lacking in quality at the end of the day whereas Barnes obviously he's got a couple of goals and he's his hold up play is he's not too bad I mean I don't think he'll keep Vokes out of the team when Vokes is back but uh, he wins some headers and I think he won he's, he's, he's grown into the Premier League since he's been playing I think he's looked more and more a Premier League player the longer he's been playing in it I think that's only natural isn't it all the players have taken different lengths of time to acclimatise I mean few weeks ago we spoke about how some of the players you expect to do really well in the Premier League hadn't perhaps hit those heights early on but they're all really coming up to that level now I think players like Trippier, Ings and Shackle in particular, they're the three I would have been really confident about in the summer of 
looking at home in the Premier League, and that's that's been the case. Whereas Barnes was probably one that nobody really expected to play that much of a part, but he's got two winning goals now. And until Volts comes back, you would think that the, the shirt's his. But he does seem to be. He has this competitive edge that I think marks him out above the, above the rest. And I still don't think he's really got a lot of the attributes you need to be a, a really good footballer. But he's got the edge and he's got this knack of coming up with really important goals. Whenever he scores, we seem to win. And it doesn't really matter what else he's contributing, I suppose, if he's going to keep getting winning goals. Um, Ian, what do you make of Ashley Barnes? I agree with you. I think he's, you know, he hasn't got Syrian pace. He... Um, isn't big and yet he still you know he wins his fair share in the air he definitely seems to enjoy getting knocked around he, he'll put his body on the line for the team he's probably one of those players actually that if he's playing against you you really dislike um, you know throwing himself around a bit um, probably leaving the odd little foot in here you know late um, here and there um, and scoring a raggy goal for us and you know sometimes you just need that bit of luck right um, but I think Edge Edge sums him up. I think that is probably what he's got above the uh, the alternatives. I think it also might help him the fact that Ings is looking like a Premier League striker now again. Um, probably for you know the first quarter of the season he didn't look like that for me, and he was out injured a bit and so on. But um, suddenly you know there's a real threat. I think that defence is a seen from Ings, and that probably just frees Barnes up a little bit to find a little bit of extra space that he might not have had a few weeks ago. So maybe that's where the, the kind of good run is coming from. I think you're spot on about Ings. I think um, it's three games without a goal, so obviously he's, he's not on top form. But also, um, his general play has just been outstanding, I think, the last few weeks. And on Saturday, we saw exactly what he's good at. He picks up the ball deep and drives the opposition defenders. And all defenders, no matter what level they're playing at, they hate it when attackers do that. Because once they've got up to full speed and you have to turn... They've just got nowhere to go and they feel really uncomfortable. And I felt like Font in particular, he really struggled every time we got Ings around him. Um, Michael, we've talked a lot about Ings on the podcast before, but he's really starting to show that the Premier League is, is where he belongs as well, isn't it? And the partnership with Barnes, it, it's working. Whether or not it looks like a good one, it is working. It is at the minute. I think Barnes probably isn't the perfect foil. I think when Vortz comes back, we'll see... Ings kick on another level and he's, he's really starting to to create uh, show what what he can do in the Premier League and it's no surprise that a lot of, lot of newspaper reports and how Lincoln even moves away I saw saw one where Ajax are rumouredly interested in interesting him um, so he's, he's obviously impressing other people and I think it's more down to just his general work rate his commitment to the cause um, it showed in the goal it was his pressing on the on the throwing that led to Barnes getting the ball and um, and I think it's just a general play at the minute. It's been been really superb. So I'm not too worried about no goals in three. He's not going to score every week in the Premier League. Um, and when he has got ch- chances, he has looked like he's going to score. So he's, he's really grown into it. He's, he's a player for me who, if we manage to, to tie him down, I've said it time and time again, we need to get him signed down to a contract. But if if we could fi- finally get him to sign it, then that'll be a massive boost to our our chances of staying up. I agree. I think that it could make all the difference, but yeah, I, th- I think we've probably seen how that one's going to play out. He's probably just going to let the contract run down. But it, there was some talk earlier in the season, weren't there, about commitment and whether the contract issue was affecting. But I think his recent form has put that to bed. So I'm sure all of us will be quite happy, 
even if he goes at the end of the season, as long as he, he continues to keep up this form, because I think he's been really, really excellent. Um, the other main thing, I suppose, that we really need to talk about Saturday's game is Tom Heaton's penalty save, which in hindsight was a, a major turning point. Um, Southampton have this incredible record of converting their penalties, but Dusan Tadic never looked that confident when he stepped up. And it's one of those where it's a cross between a good save and a, a bad penalty, maybe. Tom, what was your view of it? I thought it was an outstanding save, to be fair. Yeah, I think it was a good save because he had to get down quite low. Uh, you see the difference between that one and the penalty that Arfield missed to Palace. He hit that quite high. It was, as they say, a nice height for the keeper. But the heating one, I mean, it wasn't right in the corner, but he did have to get down quite low and he had to he had to be quite agile to get it. And he tipped it round the post as well rather than tipping it back out. So it was a really good save. I think Kieran was a bit uh, uncharitable. Looking at looking at again, I think um, he seemed to dive almost before the ball was taken. And you probably have to do that when the ball is quite close to the corner, don't you? Otherwise, you've basically got no chance of getting there. But he seems to have a pretty good record from penalties here. And he's basically earned us a point, maybe two points with that saving. These these margins at the end of the season are going to be absolutely huge. I don't think we can downplay at all how important that was. Um, Ian, the penalty, first of all, it's bad defending from Boyd, isn't it? But Heaton really bailed us out with the save. He did, and you could see from the, the look on Boyd's face as soon as he gave the penalty, it was uh, it certainly wasn't the one that anyone could argue against. Uh, quite what he was doing, I have no idea, but uh, and yeah, clearly looked a bit uh, apologetic as soon as the penalty was given. But yeah, I mean, yeah, tremendous save. Um, the guy doesn't seem to miss many penalties. Um, there were some spurious stats about how long ago it is that since Southampton missed one. But, um, you know, to, to get down almost in the corner and, and to actually get it around the post, just top-notch. And I think, um, yeah, that does the kind of things that turn a game and arguably can help to, to turn a season uh, in terms of, you know, just getting that confidence back behind the team, getting the crowd behind the, the team again. So, uh, yeah, excellent. I mean, my heart was in my mouth when I saw that uh, we conceded a pen because uh, I think with the games coming up, we really needed three points there. So it was good news all around. I think that's a great point. You look at the fixtures coming up, it was so important to get a win because the pressure really starts to get on if you've got two or three games without a win. And it's it's possible that we're going to go to the new year without a win now, although the confidence that we'll take from Saturday probably gives us a better chance with the, the games we've got coming up. Spurs away obviously looks tricky but you've got to say Liverpool the way they've been playing. Liverpool at Turf Moor is not that daunting perhaps as as much as we'd have thought at the start of the season. Um, Michael, a brilliant, brilliant save from Heaton but if I can come back to Boyd, it's bad defending but what I like about Boyd is that it didn't seem to affect him. He really stepped up almost after that like he was trying to make amends. It was really good character from him I felt. Yeah, definitely. Um, he showed his worth again for me as a, one of our is is an absolute workhorse, is he? Isn't he? And uh, a lot of players would have sort like shrunk back into themselves after making such a bad mistake. It was a, it was a terrible tackle at the end of the day. It was so just like a lazy foot put out. I don't know if he I don't know if he just wasn't sure of of where the line was and thought it was maybe still outside of the box. But you know, Bertrand's met, just made him look a bit silly. Yeah, it, it, even so, it'd have been silly, silly to give a free kick away there. So I think it's half a bit of a lazy tackle, but he's then got, he's then gone about his business superbly, carried on tracking back, and it's continually one of our um, runs the furthest. I think it more, majority of the games he's played in for us, and uh, and it's that type of commitment we need. 
um, if we want to maintain that that pressing game that's that has been serving as well. Another individual I want to pick out um, is Ben Mee. I didn't feel me played that well at QPR last weekend. I certainly felt it was a little bit of fault for the second goal with the clearance. But on Saturday, I thought the first half in particular was absolutely outstanding. Tadic has been Southampton's best player probably this season. He was playing on the right wing and me kept him so quiet. After the break, he wasn't quite as good. But then he came off injured with um, what was apparently illness. So maybe that affected him a little bit. Um, Tom, that left-back slot's been one of the few positions where we have changed the players. But... um, what are your thoughts on the, the little battle between Ward and me? Obviously, it's, it seems to be me shirt at the moment now Ward's injured. Yeah, it depends how long Ward's going to be out for, I think. That's going to be part of it. It was Because Ward was in really good form before he got injured as well. I think he'd he'd pretty much nailed the place down before me went off. But And I agreed with you on, on last Saturday against QPR. I didn't think me played very well. And I thought, well, Ward's going to walk back in there. But he was excellent on Saturday. Uh, I think the biggest compliment you could give him is he, he, you couldn't tell that he was ill the first half, especially, like you say. He didn't put a foot wrong, and it was the second half, and you could see that he was struggling a bit when he came off. I think uh, I think Lafferty might feel a bit hard done by actually, because I don't think last season obviously me was was our, our best left back definitely, but I don't think there's that much between him and Lafferty. And I thought obviously at the time everyone said Ward's a bit of a strange shining one. We've already got two left backs, and Lafferty didn't look out of place when he came on. So I wonder, depending on how long Ward's out for, I wonder if Lafferty might be able to to kind of put himself in the frame as well for that left back place. Because I don't think there's a, a great deal between them all. I think it's it's somebody's shirt to win if they put a good run together. It's, it's a strange one because I think Lafferty's better going forward than me, but me certainly better defensively. It's, it's one of those where it's a bit of a shame you can't mix the two players into one because there'd be a hell of a fullback if you could merge them. Uh, I, I'm with you. I felt at the time Ward was a strange signing, especially in that Lafferty had signed a new contract so in the summer. It was like, why are you giving the, the backup left-back a new contract and then signing another left-back to compete? It just didn't quite seem to make sense. But Ward's played so well in the last few weeks that the decision's been justified. And then you start to wonder why he didn't start the season. It has been a bit of an odd one at left-back. Ian, what are your thoughts on the left-back situation? Me did really well on Saturday, didn't he? He did from from what I saw of the game, yeah. Um, though I'd agree, I watched probably saw more of the QPR game actually, and I thought, um, you know, he probably got himself isolated. I, I think, you know, if I think back to earlier in the season when he was playing, I, I got very worried about him. I thought he'd, um, you know, allow himself to get isolated and and done with the inside ball inside the the fullback way too often. Maybe that was just a period we were going through as as a team. We were still kind of finding our feet, and maybe he like like. Um, Ings and, and others and Shackles we mentioned earlier just needed to find the feet in the in this division. It, it's a tough one, I think. But um, I, I liked how Ward was playing. Um, he's solid and, and reliable, uh, plus plus a little extra than that. But I think yeah. so. You know, my sense is he it's his shirt when he comes back when he's fit. Um, but it, isn't it great to have some competition in a position? It's not something we've got you know across the whole team by any stretch of the imagination. That's a good point, and it's it's not just the competition, it's the fact that when someone is out for a bit, you needed someone who can come in and and not have that big drop-off. I mean, you look at some of the other players in the team, you think if things got injured, we'd really struggle. If Shackle got injured, we'd be in trouble. If either Manny or Jones was out for any length of time, we'd, we'd be knackered because we don't have any other central midfielders. But at left-back, we do have cover. And as Tom said, I think Lafferty did fine, considering a lot of people seem to have have written him off almost on the on the basis of us having two other left backs. I think he did show that he's a competent player even at Premier League level. Uh, Michael, another member of the back four who's who's been 
impressing in recent weeks is Michael Keane, who's been standing in for Michael Duff. I felt on Saturday he was probably gave his best performance yet. Yeah, he's really, he's really, really grown into that position, and it's fair to say he's, he, he deserves he deserves that 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 role now over Duff. Um, and while, while I absolutely love Duff, Duff and his commitment to the cause, I think it is about time that he made way for the team for a, a younger player. And I guess the key the key thing with Michael Keane now is what's going to happen in January. We're going to keep him beyond January, going to extend it because um, I can't see him get, getting back into the team at United. I imagine they're going to bring in some some new defenders. So he's going to. I imagine he's going to want to stay on and and solidify that partnership with, with Shackle. At least that's what I can. That's what I hope will happen. It is an interesting one, isn't it? Because for for a while earlier in the season, it was not getting a game for us. But if he'd been at United, he would have been playing because they had so many injuries. Whereas now, I think they've got players back, and he'd he'd be out of favour again. So it's a funny one. But you would hope that if he's still in the team. When the deal runs out, then we would look to extend it because I think he has done really well. Uh, Tom, what I like about Michael Keane, and I think this is a sign of his growing confidence, is he seems really comfortable on the ball, and that's probably an area where he does have a bit of an edge on Duff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the amount of times we've seen Duff play those uh, those fifty yard balls down the down the line to nobody. Uh, I think on you saw it on Saturday as well. Keane, they, they can switch it quickly. His shackles good on the ball. And he can give it Keane and Keane can play it down. He can find Boyd, he can find Trippier. That's definitely something that he's got over Dolph, yeah. Uh, I don't think, other than that, I don't think there's been... For saying that we've got him from Man United and he was expecting to play in the United team, you know, if he hadn't come to ourselves, I don't think there's been that much between him, him and Dolph. But I'd be happy to keep him on, definitely, if, uh, if the opportunity arose in January. Because I don't think there's going to be that many centre-halves that are going to be available to buy that, that are any better. So it would be a good move for us, especially wages-wise and funds-wise and that as well. We saw in the summer, didn't we, when we went after Craig Dawson, how tough it can be to to get players. And I think you're right, Tom. I hope we do want to keep him because you'd expect the, the fee would be pretty reasonable. United aren't going to ask for a King's ransom for someone who's been on the fringe of their team. And I think I was saying about Craig Dawson, West Brom was talking about sort of four million for him. That's probably the sort of rate you have to pay for a talented young defender. So. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to do a deal there because I do think he has been an asset. And as Michael says, we need to think about long-term Duff replacement. He's 37 in January and as brilliant as he's been, he's not going to be around forever. Um, Ian, what are your thoughts on Keane so far? like the look of him. Uh, again, he seems to have found his feet um, as the season's gone on. And I think I think you're right with Duff. I mean, we all love him. He's a complete legend. Um, but, you know, we have to be kind of thinking about what the, what the next uh, fill-in behind Duff is. And uh, from what I've seen of him, he looks uh, looks a handy lad. He looks composed. He you know looks to have a, a touch of class about him. Um, so maybe he might be the next uh, Gary Cahill. I remember when he came on loan um, and struggled a little bit in his first match or two, but after that just looked uh, an absolute star. Unfortunately, we couldn't hang on to him. But um, you know, my concern is, I suppose, with the amount of injuries that they're having at United, whether they'll look to bring him back as cover, uh, particularly if he has been playing well for us. Um, but you know, if they can get uh, a, a few centre halves fit, then you never know. We might be able to either extend the loan or to uh, to bring him in. That would be it. Would be good news if we could get our hands on him on a longer term basis. I'm not sure exactly when the the deal runs out, but I think you're right. I think it, it will depend largely on on who United have got available at that time. I think it's probably good news for us that Phil Jones is back. He was back on Saturday, a bit Sunday, sorry, earlier than people were expecting, but they've still been playing. Michael Carrick's been playing in defence, haven't they? So they're still a little bit short, so there is a chance that he might need to go back. But yeah, we'll just have to keep our eyes on that one. 
hope, hopefully the fact that he has been playing will will be good for us because like Shellbar, I think if he'd still been on the bench, there'd have been no chance of us keeping him at all. Um, another individual we should touch on, I think, is Scott Arfield, who I think he was better on Saturday than he has been the last few weeks, but he's, he's still not playing as well as he was earlier in the season. Um, Tom, what are your thoughts on Arfield's recent performances? Since he had a couple of games out, didn't he? And since he came back into society, he just doesn't really seem himself. Yeah, I don't know if he's still struggling fitness-wise because obviously a large part of his game is the pressing, the running about. That's why Dyche likes him. So I don't know if it's something to do with that. He needs maybe Dyche thinks he needs the games to build his fitness back up a bit. But he was a passenger on Saturday. I thought really, I don't think he was much better than he has been in recent weeks. I thought after, I mean, Kitely, I don't think he's, he's got much on him, but. After the way Cartley played at Stoke, two assists, which I don't think Arfield's got this season, I thought he, obviously he started the next game against Villa, Dyche put Arfield on for him, and Cartley's not had a look in since, even as a sub, which is strange. Uh, I thought Cartley, I think Cartley will feel a bit hard done by there, because I think he, he did enough in that Stoke game to to show that he's got something to offer, and while Arfield's not producing, I, I think it's, I, I'd be dropping him for Tottenham, I'd be putting Cartley back in. I think it's, it's an interesting one, because... Like you say, Cartley was excellent at Stoke, but maybe that was to do with going back to his old club and trying to prove them wrong. I don't know how much that affected his performance then. And I think in the Villa game then he was he was below par, so I kind of understood how Arfield got back in, but I'm with you. I don't think he's really justifying his place at the minute and maybe Cartley will will push him hard. It's probably one of the few places in the in the side that is up for grabs. Uh, Michael, what are your thoughts on this? Wallace as well, he seems to have done okay in little cameos, but he's not really getting a look in. And the way Dash uses his subs means it is quite hard to impress. Yeah, I think it's it's one of them where Arfield's is out of form at the minute. Is is like he's okay. He's not been doing brilliantly compared to, but compared to how he started the season, he, he is out of form. And perhaps it's about time he had he had a, a short spell on the sidelines just to away from the spotlight. Regained a bit of form because I don't know if it's a pressure thing um, where people are raving about him and, and talking him up for going up to um, getting into the Scotland squad. So I don't know if a bit of pressure's got to him and, and, and that's impacted on his performances or not. So I, I would quite like to see Kylie getting a go again. Um, and even even perhaps, yeah, Wallace Wallace off the bench probably. I, wouldn't, I, I don't think he he's earned a start just yet, but definitely off the bench. But again, it's, it's like you said. Dash doesn't really like using his substitutes that that much, especially especially for impact players on the wing. So, um, be interesting to see how it goes with Arfield. Uh, Wallace is a funny one. I'm with you. I wouldn't start him, but I felt like he was really really good off the bench in the in the Villa game. He set up two chances in injury time, and since then we haven't seen him. It just seems odd. It's like what what else could he have done in that cameo? I mean, he should have had two assists arguably, and he's not been seen since. It's a bit of an odd one. Um, Ian, we've mentioned Arfield's fitness. Do you think maybe it is that he's just not quite 100%? And if that's the case, surely it would make sense to leave him out for Spurs when we've got so many games coming up in a short period? Yeah, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? Um, I, I sense it, it might be that he's just he's just tired. His, his legs are, are kind of going out a bit from under him. And, and yeah, that's his game, isn't it, in a way? Um, he, you know, he's, he's a great lad and I'm never going to criticise him. But his big, you know, his his big selling point, I guess, is his ability to get around the pitch. And if he starts to lose just a bit of that, um, then I think that's an issue for him. So, yeah, I I think currently for sure, um, Wallace for me is a cameo sort of player at this level. Um, I wouldn't 
expect to see him start. I don't think I'd like to see him start, if I'm honest with you. Um, Kitely is, is reliable and you know what you're going to get from him uh, week in, week out. So, yeah, no no problems there. I think it would be... Um, It'd be good to give Arfield maybe maybe a rest, give us um, give him some time to to catch up on a bit of fitness maybe, and uh, you know get back into the groove of what he was doing for us earlier in the season. It's interesting what you say about Kyle being a player. You know what you're going to get from because for me, Arfield gets the gets the nod in that position because he is a solid six out of ten player. You know he's going to be good every week if not better, whereas Kiteley, I think he can be, he's got that more hit and miss about him. At the end of last season, he was fantastic, but we haven't seen that from him that often. Stoke's probably the only time he's played really well, so for me, Arfield's like a solid 6 or 7 out of 10 player, whereas Kiteley can be more 8 or 9, and then the next week he's a 4. He seems to have a, a bit more fluidity in his, in his in the way he ranks for me, but yeah. I know what you mean. I would I think again, I would say, and maybe I'm going off the start performance, but you know, again, I think he was a player that looked a little bit like he was kind of growing into himself and getting a bit more confidence that he could play his game at this level as well. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if he does get to get the shirt on Saturday or, or one of the next games. It'd be interesting to see how he plays because I, I take your point, but I, I I still think you know, defensively in terms of getting back and, and putting the hard yards in, I think you know, we have seen a lot of that from Kiteley in the last few games. So, um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be comfortable with him coming into the squad for sure. It is an interesting one. I suppose we'll, we'll just have to wait and see how that one plays out because I, I do think it is uh, one of the few positions that, that is up for grabs. Uh, moving on from Southampton shortly, but earlier today I spoke to Saints fan Connor Armstrong to find out what he thought about the game. Um, I think after the recent run of hard games we had, it's one we would have marked down to take three points and get back to winning ways. So in many ways, it was quite disappointing, yeah. And the the Southampton performance, it it seemed like you were a bit low on confidence after those defeats. Um, I think after the losses to the side at the top of the league, um, it's taken a lot of energy and a lot of confidence out of the team. I think a couple of the um, foreign signings, mainly Tadic and Pella, are looking a little bit tired. He seems to be struggling for a bit of fluidity, I felt, in, in your attacking. Certainly, Tadic and Pello were, were pretty quiet. Do you think it is just tiredness, or is it perhaps a case of, of teams working those players out as well? Um, no, I think it is tiredness. I mean, they've come from the Dutch league where it doesn't have the same intensity. I mean, the manager said that himself. Um I'd say you're right that we are lacking fluidity. Recently, a lot of our games have been very scrappy and I think second half you saw us going direct into Pelo a lot more. Um, I'm not entirely sure why Tadic's form has dropped off, to be quite honest. It's, it's gone really poor and I think the lack of confidence was reflected in the manner which he took his penalty. I was about to ask you about the penalty. Did you feel like it was a, a poor penalty or a, a good save or some combination of the two? Well... Um... It could have been tighter into the corner. It, it did seem a bit lacklustre in many ways. And I think a lot of Saints fans had the feeling that our first penalty, sort of without Ricky Lambert, someone would step up and miss. And I've seen a few highlights videos of Tadic, and he does tend to try and hit it softly where Lambert would put his foot through the ball. So I'm, I wasn't entirely surprised when he missed. Southampton have an incredible record with penalties. It seems to have been forever since they missed one. So. Yeah, I saw a... Um, 
a stat from the BBC that the last player to miss one in the Premier League for us was Jim McGilton in 1997. And obviously we've had Letitia, Shearer and Lambert between now and then. The manner of our goal was obviously quite fortunate with the, the ricochet and then the deflection off, off the defender. Did you just feel at that point that it was going to be one of those days with things going not your way? Um, I felt obviously we were heading for a draw, which I would have said is fair because we lacked the, the cutting edge. But you did always get the feeling as we started to pile forward a bit more that something would happen on the, on the break, as has happened quite often recently with the Arsenal game and the United game. And when it went in, I wasn't entirely surprised, but I didn't see us scoring at any point in that game. But even at the end, Wanyama's got a tremendous chance with the header, pretty much the last kick of the game. You, you must have felt like you could have got something from the match, even with the, the slightly disappointing performance. Um, well, we would have hoped so, but I don't know. Our finishing in the recent games hasn't been quite what it was in the early days when we put Sunderland away, sort of 8 0. Maybe you used to put your goals then, you seem to be struggling in the last few weeks. What, what do you expect for the rest of the season then? Obviously, you started like a house on fire, but of late the, the winds have dried up a bit, but you have had a lot of tough games. Do you think you're going to be able to turn it around again? I think we've got um, Chelsea and Everton coming up in our next three or four games, so I can see us sliding a bit more and it getting worse before it gets better. But I would back the team and the manager, especially with the January window coming up to get things back on track and and pick things up again and get into a good run heading towards the final months of the season. Speaking of the, the January transfer window, Danny Ings is a player you've been linked with quite a bit. Of course, he was with Southampton as a youngster, but they let him go. Um, what did you make of his performance on Saturday? And is he a player you'd like to see at St Mary's? Uh, I think he'd he'd fit in very well with what we're trying to build. He seems very all-action, very energetic. Obviously, um, being a Southampton boy as well is a, is a bonus from a fan perspective. Um, I know there was a lot of talk about it in the summer and quite a lot of our fan base were keen to bring him to the club I think he's only got six months left on his contract so it might it might be worth looking at because it seems to me from what I see of him that every week he's getting better and adapting to the Premier League yeah I think that was spot on he did take a while to get going in the season but the last few weeks he's definitely like he's he's found found his, his feet in the Premier League I think he hasn't scored in the last three but his form's still been good and yeah, we're all a bit worried about losing him, but it sounds like he's going to run down his contracts and go in the summer. So if he stays, that's excellent news for us. Um, someone else I've obviously got to ask you about is Jay Rodriguez. He's been injured a long time now. Is there any sort of date being set for his comeback? He must be close because Sam Volts did the same injury and he's playing reserve team football now. Um, well, I know that initially he was targeted to return to play against you at the weekend. Um, I think he got back to getting in the swimming pool and starting some light running. And then he's had to have a second op for some fluid on the knee, which is putting him out, they reckon, till about February or March now. So he'll be coming up to 12 months without any football whatsoever. He's he's still not played for the under-21 side, let alone the first team. That must be such a big shame. I mean, last season he really started well, didn't he? And he would have been in the World Cup squad, you'd think, without the injury. Um, yeah, I think he would have been in the World Cup squad um, last season. He... He hit 17 goals for us and then didn't play sort of after that injury against Manchester City in April. And R- uh, Ricky Lambert obviously hit 15 in his first season and managed to get into the England setup. So he would have been back in Jay to do the same. You do have a, a good core of, of English talent at the moment. I suppose that's partly due to the academy, but you know, three or four England internationals at the minute, it 
does make a difference, doesn't it, when you've got homegrown players in the side? Yeah, it's a it's a huge bonus. Aside from just in terms of being able to put them down on their the, the preseason squad uh, squad sheet, which obviously has to be met. Um, I think the fans like to see it, and especially if they're homegrown from our own academy, as has been the case recently with Ward Prowse, and then obviously Shaw and Chambers who've now left. Um, I think it's a it's a huge boost not only to the current team, but to the youngsters of the future to see that it's the right club for them. Hesketh seems to be the latest. I thought he was quite tidy um, in the first half an hour. It was a shame that he, he went off injured, really. I've seen a couple of comments from Southampton fans that were unhappy with the, the challenge from, from Michael Keane that did cause the injury. What did you make of that tackle? Um, I, I don't think there was any real intent from uh, Keane to injure Hesketh. I know Hesketh had gone in a bit <clears throat> too hastily on Tom Heaton early, early doors, but I would put that down to uh, being over-enthusiastic towards his first start. But I don't think you can really blame Keane for the tackle. I think he went in to win the ball and however late or mistimed or inaccurate his tackle was, I don't think he set out to hurt Hesketh. I think that was fair. Hesketh, if anything, was just too fast for him. And once he's got the ball away, I think Keane's just, it's clashing knees as much as anything. It's going to be a bit nasty. Um, Just finally then, do you think Europe's a realistic proposition for you this season? I would say with a fully fit squad, it should be. I mean, uh, we've seen recently the last couple of weeks the effect that a couple of injuries can have on our squad and, and it hasn't been too impressive. Um, we're going to have to cut out the silly mistakes. Uh, obviously, things like missing the penalties, which we really should be putting away. The back pass against Manchester United, uh, conceding in the last minute against Arsenal. If we can iron those out, I certainly think uh, European qualification is realistic for the club. Excellent. Well, good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you, and yourselves. So that was Saints fan Connor, not particularly happy with the way his team played, but all well. <laughs> I think we probably just about edged it on Saturday. Uh, the major news story that's come out on Monday when we're recording the podcast that we do want to touch on is financial fair play. Now, FFP is a hugely complex issue. It's difficult to go into in detail, but it did catch our eye because... There's three teams in the Championship being given transfer embargoes for the rest of the season. And one of them is our friends from down the road, Blackburn Rovers. Um, Burnley's own um, FFP compliance hasn't been assessed yet because we got promoted. That happens later. But it also looks like Leicester and QPR are going to face sanctions. But theirs will be fines instead of a transfer embargo. It's all a bit hazy and, and murky. I don't really understand all of it, but... It's quite funny that Rovers have got a transfer embargo. Um, Ian, what do you know about this FFP thing? Do you think the the transfer embargo is, is really a big enough punishment? It seems a little bit of a slap on the wrist, doesn't it? It does, really. I suppose it's it's difficult for them to, to go too hard on teams that are still in that division. I mean, I'd love them to go as hard as they wanted on the Rovers, obviously. But, I mean, just as a, as a general principle, uh, I think it, it's tough for them to to kind of, you know, put them in jeopardy, I suppose, by, by slamming with a, a big fine. A points reduction, I think, would be more appropriate, probably, and I know they've talked about that in the past. Um, but I know that, you know, if clubs get promoted, um, then there's, in theory, uh, a big fine lands on the doorstep, um, which probably for QPR doesn't mean too much uh, because they've got some very wealthy backers. Not sure about Leicester's situation. Um, they seem to be... Uh, in a little bit of a mess and, and not prepared to invest too much in the club. So 
you know, if they get a, a 10, 20, 30 million pound fine, then that's a, that could be a potentially huge issue for them. Leicester have just got rid of their director of football as well. He seems to have carried the can for, for their drop in form since we got a point at Leicester. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how quickly they rule on the the three promoted teams because that could affect them if they were unable to, to bring in players in January because of of a big fine but for me finding teams that have gone up it just seems pointless because they're going to have a lot of money sloshing around front it's like you've overspent to get to the Premier League earn a load of money and then just pay some of it back in a fine it doesn't really seem like a punishment at all to me um, Tom Burnley I suppose are the, the sort of club we've done it the right way we've done it without overspending we haven't stretched ourselves so it just seems unfair that other teams can break these rules without really having a, a strong punishment, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it was a little bit naive from ourselves when we, obviously we were talking it up when it was coming out and saying we're going to be fitting in with the rules and that obviously it's worked out okay for ourselves. Uh, but a lot, you know, the, the rules and that are agreed on by the club, so it's it's like turkeys voting for Christmas, isn't it? They're not going to, and especially there's so many teams in the championship or who could potentially drop into the championship that are the kind of clubs like your Leicester, your QPRC, where running that model where they're not going to be spending prudently it's it's owners chucking money at it and the, none of those clubs are going to get together and say let's all punish ourselves for, for massively overspending and I think another example of a team who've who've gone for it and, and it hasn't worked out is Brighton you look at them they made a big thing of how they were fitting into the FFP regulations and now they've lost all the best players they haven't replaced them and they're in the bottom three so it is unfair but it's, it's the way the world in football unfortunately it's all about the money these days and it's going to work out better for ourselves because when we come down, we've got the parachute payments. Well, I say when, if we come down, we've got the parachute payments. We've got a legitimate source of income there. And, uh, and you know, we're going to have a head start on a lot of teams coming down if, if they do stick to them. But, obviously, whether they do or not is another matter. I think that's a good point. Mike, I suppose the, the problem with FFP is that t- teams are always going to find a way around it. They'll just have expensive lawyers that find the loopholes and... And try and get around it that way. I mean, we've seen examples like um, clubs like Man City who've got these massive sponsorship deals that are basically the owners pouring more money in because it, it gets around it. And it it does make it harder for for clubs like ours to compete, doesn't it? But would you rather that we did it our way, without stretching ourselves, ensuring the future of the club, all that sort of stuff, than than overspending and and basically bending the rules a little bit? Um, I'd rather do it our way. To be fair, I'd rather see, I'd rather support a club that was still still going to exist in in twenty thirty years time instead of one that may it may implode on itself because it's overspent and it's all gone pear shaped. But I think FFP is fundamentally flawed anyway. How it's tied into um, the, a club's revenue, we're, we're never ever going to be able to compete with a team such as Manchester United just purely because of the size of the town and the amount of supporters we have. So. In that in that respect, I think it's an unfair system as it is. But I'd, personally, I'd rather see Burnley keep operating in the, within their means where they can, um, and and not become uh, foul of these systems. And if that means that we one day have to settle for playing at a lower division, that, that's just the way it is. Unfortunately, because money money does rule football these days, doesn't it? I agree with you. I'd, I'd always rather have a, a Burnley board full of lifelong fans, and even if they're not the richest people in the world, that you know that they've got the the best interests of the club at heart. And even if you're frustrated sometimes at the decisions you make, they know that you know that they're doing it for the right reasons. I'd hate to have someone like Vincent Tan who 
might be good entertainment for the rest of us, but comes in completely changes the club. Cardiff for me aren't really Cardiff City anymore. They've sold off the identity of the club to suit the owner and they got into the Premier League as a result, but now they've got Russell Slade in charge. It seems like a, a bit of a turnaround there. Uh, leaving FFP behind for now, then. I'm sure we could talk about that for ages and ages. A couple of other off-the-field issues to deal with. Um, TV rights, mainly. Uh, the Premier League rights are up for auction. Again, they always seem to be coming up for auction, don't they? But apparently there's going to be Friday night football for the first time. Friday night's been a, a championship football slot recently, but it looks like we are going to have Friday night football next season again it's it's not good for the fans really is it it means fans are probably gonna have to take afternoons off work to travel and I suppose the the fans are just the people who end up getting punished by this sort of things but it's what the tv companies want isn't it Ian what do you make of Friday Night Football? I, I don't like it and you know I unfortunately it's just another symptom of the kind of overbearing commercialization of, of the Premier League in particular um, I was listening to a debate on the radio about it today, and some guy was on there. I, can't, I didn't exactly spot who he was from, but you know, his view was, well, you know, the, yeah, the away fans are going to be inconvenienced, but you know, we're only talking about a few thousand people, and you know, we're talking about you know, several million that will ma- watch a, a big match on TV, and that's just the way it seems to be now. Um, you know, we're we're spending more and more money uh, on you know both both ticket prices as well as. Um, TV subscriptions and the like, and seem to be the people that are you know the least considered in the, in the whole equation. Um, you know the the prospect. You know I, I live down south now, so the, the prospect of of driving up the the M40 and the M6 on a Friday afternoon, late Friday afternoon, to get to the turf just fills me with dread. Um, and you know people will make decisions based on that whole package, not just getting to the match, but you know. The whole travel piece as well. The time you're going to be home, as you say, having to take time off work on a Friday afternoon. So it just strikes me that we're, you know, we're we're going to get to the stage sooner or later where, you know, we just have a, you know, potentially sterile stadium full of home fans, um, or or even three quarters full of home fans and, and hardly any away fans. And you know, sooner or later people pick up on the fact that the atmosphere is going away. But um, yeah, I think it'll take a long time, you know, because. Sky TV and whoever else is going to come in and, and bid for the next set of rights uh, rule the roost now we've sold our soul to the devil and uh, that's the way it goes I think you're right and it's difficult because I think whenever you talk about this kind of thing you have to to think about all the good things that the Premier League and Sky Sports have done for the game I think the standard of football's improved for one but yeah, I, I agree with you I think supporters are increasingly being treated as unimportant I think watching Saturday's championship game Borough against Derby that was completely obvious first versus second game in the championship they put it on at quarter past 12 or something on a Saturday Derby fans would have had to get up at six o'clock in the morning something ridiculous to get there Borough's ground was half empty even though they're flying it's it's just a sign of, of how difficult it's going to be to get people to do this um, the other thing on the TV stuff that's happened is that the BBC has apparently lost the, the Football League highlights rights. Um, this doesn't affect us at the moment and hopefully what next season, but they're going to put them on Channel 5 apparently and it's going to be on at 9 o'clock rather than 10 past midnight or whenever the BBC's been getting around to showing them. So that's going to be a bit of a change. Uh, Michael, what do you, where do you stand on Friday Night Football first and the Football League highlights moving? 
Uh, Friday Night Football, I agree totally with what Ian was saying. The whole, it's the, pri- the whole package uh, as a cost, which is essential. Can people afford to take that time off work? And then it comes down to why, why would you even consider paying for a season ticket that may cost you £600 or whatnot when, you, when X amount of games might get chucked on a, on a Monday or a Friday when you can't go to them because of work commitments? It's just it's madness, essentially. Um, and I don't like to see it. I'd rather I want to see my football on a Saturday and if if need be a Sunday uh, but anyway in terms of Friday, uh, football league highlights uh, I think I, I don't I don't like the football league show as it is at the minute um, so I, as long as five can improve on the production value which is asking a lot to say the least um, they could, could could make a good fist of it and I'd ra- I think I'd rather watch that on a Saturday night anyway yeah, I think I think that's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. I'm with you. I don't think the football league show is a good program at all. They make some really odd decisions. Um, moving on from that, then, because we could probably complain about that for for plenty of time. We'll round off tonight's podcast by previewing Spurs away at the weekend. Um, it's probably a fixture that was tough on paper, but since we've already won at Stoke this season, it's probably something we can look at with hope rather than expectation perhaps Ian what are you expecting from Saturday's game uh, well I'm going and I'm looking forward to it it's a, it's a good ground to go to it's a, a proper football ground not in the best part of London oh, I hate it it's Dear. in a horrible part of London it is. and it's falling down it's a horrible <laughs> ground but there's something about that ground that, that I always enjoy going to I don't know why uh, like you say terrible part of London and you know, hard work for me to get to from, from where we are on way out west um, but never mind, you're not interested in my personal travel problems. Um, <laughs> I, I think you don't know what you're going to get with Tottenham. They're, uh, they've been better away than they have been at home. I think the, the supporters get on their backs a lot at home. And I think if we can hold them for, for half an hour and you know, get that pressing game going again, uh, we're in with a chance of getting something. Um, you know, they've got quality all over the pitch, there's no doubt about that. And Pochettino seems to have got them picking up a bit but uh, you know Harry Kane worries me a bit he's just the kind of kind of big aggressive centre forward that uh, I fear might do us some damage but overall I think like I say I think if we can hold them for half an hour and get the fans on the back then uh, why couldn't we get something there it is going to be an interesting one I saw Spurs on Sunday in the the win at Swansea where I felt they got incredibly fortunate but they have been very hit and miss they've played quite badly in quite a few games but got lucky and I'm not sure what to make of them. I think their defence is quite poor, but Loris is one of the best goalkeepers in the league and I don't really rate Harry Kane, but he keeps scoring goals, so it's it's a difficult one to assess. Uh, Michael, what are you expecting from Saturday? I think we're going to get absolutely hammered, <laughs> to be honest. I think... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of them grounds where we always seem to get beat by a considerable amount. I think it was 5-0, weren't it, in 2009? We lost heavily in the League Cup there as well after Patterson put us out. It was 4-1 in the end that time. Yeah, it was. Um, so it's it's not a happy hunting ground, put it that way, but uh, there's not much, not much recent stats to back it up. Back that up anyway, so I, I just have a, I have that horrible feeling inside where we'll get we'll get beat quite badly, and then it all seemed to fall apart on the internet for us. Um, probably on Twitter first, and then Clarice Maddell going to meltdown or whatnot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully, we can sneak a draw, uh, but that's the best I can unfortunately imagine at the minute. <laughs> I think it's a, it's an interesting one because I think 
with winning on, on Saturday against Southampton, I think it takes the pressure off a little bit. We got out of the bottom three, which I don't think any of us has mentioned, actually, which I think it's always big psychologically to to be above the, the dreaded dotted line of doom, as I've started referring to it. So I think that's big. And I think we can go there and play with no pressure. And I think it'll be interesting to see how we get on. Tom, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't think... I think... Apart from West Brom, I don't think anybody's really battered us this season. And I don't think Spurs have been handing out batterings. So I can't see us getting really badly beaten. And Spurs' home form this year has been really poor as well. They've already lost to Stoke, Tottenham, uh, West Brom. They, they got beat at home too as well. And they only made a draw with Crystal Palace. So it's not a fortress White Hart Lane this season. And they had that thing earlier in the season where Adebayo was saying the players really don't like playing at home. The fans get on the back. So I think what Ian was saying, if we can keep it tight the first half an hour, get them nervous, get them uncomfortable... Then we've got we've got every chance. I think nick a draw at least. I mean, I don't know if we'll win, but it'd be a bonus point down there, and uh, and I think we've got every chance of getting one. So that's about all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Thanks to everyone who's listening. Thanks to Michael, Tom, Ian, and Connor for joining us. Thanks as ever to our sponsor Neville G. We couldn't do the the podcast or the website without them. Um, just one final thing to mention for this week's podcast is we've got a competition running on the site where you can win a pair of tickets for the Liverpool game. The Liverpool game on Boxing Day at Turf Moor is a sellout, so it's one of the only ways you can get tickets for the game. It's a devastatingly easy question um, that you've got to answer to, to get your name in the hat. So please do go and answer and hopefully we'll be able to give out some tickets for the game. But that is all we've got time for. If you've got any feedback, please do get in touch. The email address is podcast at net, or you can tweet us at net as normal. But that's it for this week. We'll be back next Monday. Bye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.